Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hi there. I'm Liza Powell O'Brien, and I'm a writer, a reader, and the wife of someone you may have heard of. And I'm here to tell you about the newest season of my podcast for Team Coco, Significant Others. Each week, we tell stories you may not know about a person you probably do, like Benedict Arnold, whose wife Peggy may be the reason he almost succeeded in betraying his country. Look for Significant Others wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, Gary? God, I miss you, brother. Good to see you, Rob. It's been been, uh, too long. I know you're busy these days. Tell me what your most recent travel adventure. Uh, I did a couple of concerts. Uh, I did uh, a concert down at Naval Medical Center in San Diego. So that's a little bit of a travel. It's not yeah. a non-airplane travel or anything like that. And we we do that every year with my foundation. Going back to 2012, I'll bring my band down there and we set up a stage and you know we bring food in and we bring moon bounces in and rock climbing walls and everything we get the patients outside and we give them a a a day-long festival uh with music and uh it really is very very helpful to the people that are at the hospital and going through a lot and then the following day we went up to vandenberg air force base and played up there for everybody so well and you know for those of you who aren't aware i mean you know gary's foundation the gary sinise foundation um each year raises over $30 million, $30 million each year, which benefits <laughs> military, uh, military veterans, you know, building smart homes. And I mean, my favorite thing are the, are the smart sort of, they're not wheelchairs, but like that help some, some of the guys who can't walk anymore actually stand up. And we did that event at Paramount together. It's been a number of years and that, te- that technology is insane, is so great for them. The home, the homes are incredible. Uh, can I, can I give you a, a new figure? Uh, you're probably looking at an old figure there. Give me a new one. Let's hear the drum roll. Uh, we, we've doubled that. So the foundation is uh, like crushing it. And uh, we always need more help because we're doing a lot of incredible things. But, you know, we've expanded our programming uh, in various areas uh, for military and first responder support. The homes you know, have all kinds of technology in them because we're dealing with, you know, quadruple amputees, triple amputees, dramatic brain injury, burns, blindness. Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, people that are paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, they need all kinds of special things put into these homes. So we bring all kinds of technology into these homes to help their families. So that's costly, of course. And we have, you know, multiple programs. And because our fundraising uh, continues to increase each year, we're able to expand those programs and do a lot more. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. But <laughs> um, for, if anybody would like to donate, where can they do that? Yeah, you can go to GarySiniseFoundation.org. I always recommend that people go, you know, sc- you know, scroll around the 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 website and everything like that. But if you go down to the YouTube channel on the homepage and you click on that, you'll go and you'll see dozens of videos. In fact, you'll see uh, videos of that event that we did at Paramount years ago are on there. So, I mean, there's dozens of videos that go back way, way back uh, across the history of the foundation. And it shows our programs in action and it it allows you to meet the people that we're helping. It's so great. And you you, uh, were honored recently. And I I was a part of uh, many amazing people who did a nice hello video to you that apparently they they showed you and surprised you. Was that cool? Did you like it? It I I, I saw a little bit of it. It looked like it was amazing. That that totally shocked me, Rob. I mean, I, I wasn't at all prepared for it. 
I know you, you're a writer, you've written some books and you go on these tours and do some promotion and whatnot. So I was uh, actually just starting my promotional tour. I was in New York. We were getting ready to head to the train station, take a train down to DC and do some, some more publicity there. And I, they told uh, my publicist and my, and my trusty assistant told me to meet in my publicist's uh, room and then we'd go downstairs and I went in there and and I said what are you doing let's get going and they they made me sit down and they plopped this laptop in front of me and it was all these wonderful friends and people wonderful friends like you and people that I've known or worked with over the years and then other people that I I haven't worked with and on the military side and the Hollywood side all all that and they were all just Patting me on the back for doing a good job trying to help these folks out. And it was, I, I, by the end of it, uh, I don't know if you saw my reaction <laughs> video to watching it, but I was all choked up and, you know, it was really, it was really something. It really caught me off guard. I, I wasn't prepared for it at all. Uh, well, listen, you deserve it. And, and, and again, folks out there, Gary has devoted his life to this, really, um, I mean, he still is a wonderful actor and has a huge Hollywood career, but this is, um, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people who are activists. I don't know anybody who lives it and breathes it more than you do. I really don't. Well, and and it's, and I just, I just love it. And I love you so much. Thank for, you, but thank for, you for doing it. You're going to make me blush and get all here. <laughs> um, I want to talk about a lot of stuff, but I didn't realize. So Gary formed a legendary theater company called Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf, if you were a young actor coming up when I came up, it was like uh, they were like they were they were literally the Rolling Stones of acting. It was very rock and roll. It was super edgy. It was super cool <laughs> and just badass motherfuckers and uh, in Chicago and you formed it in 74. That has to be a typo in my notes. Did you really form it? In- no, no, that I, I got out of high school in 74 and, and, um, so I was 18 and I, I, I write about this in my book actually, because I was really a bad student in high school. The only thing I could do was get on stage and learn the lines and spit them out. Uh, but <laughs> academics, I was just terrible at. And so by the time it came to graduate with my class, I they told me I didn't have enough credits because I had failed so many classes along the way. So I had to go back for an extra semester. Uh, I should have graduated with the class of 73, but... I ended up going back for another semester and graduating in January of 1974. And uh, with high school being so challenging for me, I didn't have any uh, desire to try to go to college. So I, what, what was I going to do? I got a job with my dad. He was uh, a film editor in the city of Chicago, and I, I got a job schlepping things around for him. And then we formed this... We, uh, I got together with some kids that were still in high school and we said, well, let's do a play. Let's find a place somewhere and do a play. And so we did find this beautiful little church uh, in Deerfield, Illinois, and they let us use it. And we did a play in there in, uh, I think it opened in uh, probably February of 74. And we called it Steppenwolf Theater. Then we did another play. We did another play. We eventually took over this abandoned basement of a closed-down Catholic school that had this big basement in there, and we built an 88-seat theater in there, and that was the summer of 76 that we we started in there, and John Malkovich was a part of that. Laurie Metcalf was a part of that. Jeff Perry was a part of that. Terry Kinney, um, the woman I met who became my wife, uh, Moira Harris. And it was a group of nine of us in this basement. And that's how Steppenwolf got started. And uh, eventually we moved into the city. And it's, if you go there now, I mean, look, 1974, that means Steppenwolf is 49 years old. And it's a massive multi million dollar complex now. 
that started with a bunch of kids with no money at all and nothing. And now it's this three theaters in there and all kinds of actors and writers and directors have come out of there. The, 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 the breakout moment was your production of True West, if I remember correctly. Yep. Well, True West was the the first time we took a play. Uh, we moved it to New York. We we wanted oh, to do, okay. Yeah, we wanted to do right. something in New York. Uh, we had had some hits in Chicago and in um, in the basement of the Catholic school, which happened to be in Highland Park, Illinois, where I I grew up and went to the high school. Um, but True West was kind of this small uh, four-person cast. It was easy, easy to move it, um, and I was able to get some producers to bring some money in, get some investors, and and uh, I made this deal. And uh, Malkovich and I did it, and that was in 1982. We opened it off Broadway. Nobody knew who Steppenwolf was at that time. We were just some young guys. Uh, and if I was 27, Malkovich was 28, and we went to New York. We did the play, and it was a massive hit. Ran for a couple of years. We did it for six months. And then John went off and started doing movies after that. It was a big part for him, a real real career cha- changer for him. I remember that was sort of my first time being in New York as a young actor. And that was all anybody was talking about was, was that production. I mean, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. What was... And, and if you're you right, would have hung around long enough, Rob, I, I would have probably uh, cast you in the play. <laughs> I, I, I always talk to actors. I go, let's go do True West. I'm too old for it now. Well, you know, no two travelers are exactly alike. And that means no two trips should be either. Texas, this vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations and activity allow for such an infinite number of different travel experiences. I mean, I love Texas. I go like this, the people of Dallas, the culture of Austin, and I love any time I get there. If you're a beach person, well, you can go have fun in the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're a rugged vacation type, there's campgrounds, hiking trails, state parks, golf is nuts there, foodies, You got your Texas barbecue and live music in Austin. And of course, if you're into the cowboy scene, you can certainly find it there. And now Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom trip matched to their own unique interests. So visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What what do you think it was about Malkovich, it, particularly in that part that was so that popped him off like it did? Because I still hear people talk about seeing John in that part. I saw John and burned this later on, and it was, you know, extraordinary. Yeah, him and Joan Allen, both uh, members of of Steppenwolf. In that, I don't know. Uh, True West is a really funny play. Uh, it had been done in New York. Uh, and first, it was done at the Magic Theater in San Francisco when it was first uh, first done. Uh, Sam Shepard had a had a you know relationship with a company up there, and they did a lot of his plays. They did True West there, and then uh, Joe Papp produced it uh, at the Public Theater, probably nineteen eighty just a couple of years before we did it. And it did not do well. Sam Shepard was not happy with that production. It was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Peter Boyle and Tommy Lee Jones played the brothers in that. Oh my yeah. God, that they, must have been they were unreal. There was a lot of controversy about it. Uh, Sam, you know, wasn't happy with the production, whatever. Um, it didn't do 
do that well. Uh, I always thought it was funny, and I kept trying to get his agent to give me the play, to do, do it in Chicago. She didn't know anything about Steppenwolf, so she kept saying, no, we're not going to give it to you. We're waiting for the Goodman. The Goodman asked. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah. Because the Goodman was the theater that people knew, and they were trying yeah. to get the Goodman to do it, and the Goodman didn't do it. And eventually, I remember being so excited. I was on the phone with her. I was the artistic director of, this, of Steppenwolf at the time, and I kept bugging her. And finally, she said, okay, I'll give you the rights. And I ran down the stairs and told everybody we got the rights to True West. And we did it. We opened it in um, 1982. Um, in the spring of 1982, it was a big hit in Chicago, did really well. And then I was able to get the, you know, get the producers to come on board and put some money together. We did it in New York. Uh, it got tremendous uh, attention, a lot of a lot of great reviews. Malkovich got all these sort of Marlon Brando-esque, you know, reviews uh, and all this stuff. And a lot of people came to see it. And uh, you know, he he just did really well. It was a it was a really funny crazy performance you know we banged each other's heads around for for six months on stage and uh john just did really well uh just a really kind of tour de force one of those kind of roles that just gets a lot of attention and then he went off and uh he left we we filmed it for uh pbs wow i recast it other people went into it for the next 18 months i kept recasting it but John and I finished, and then we went into, into a studio and shot it for PBS uh, series called American Playhouse. Yes, of course. And we shot it for four days, and it's on YouTube. You can see it on YouTube. Drew West is on YouTube. And uh, John went off. We finished, I remember we finished like at one in the morning, one, one night. We shot for four days. Finished at one in the morning, the final scene, which is just chaos and ripping each other's hair out. You know, we were totally exhausted. And he left like the following day to go to Thailand to shoot The Killing Fields uh, that Roland Joffe was directing. And it was his first big movie. He hadn't really done anything. And then, you know, within just, you know, a couple of years, he was getting a lot of attention and all of that, you know, did really well, obviously. What an amazing story. And then you guys reunited for Of Mice and Men many years later. I love that production, incidentally. I think it's fint. I love that movie. By the way, Gary directed these things, just to be clear. Gary's in them and also directed them. It's a great, it's a great yeah, production. That was, uh, well, John and I had done that on stage before we did True West together. We did uh, Of Mice and Men on stage, probably 1980, something like that. And then we, um, in 1988, Steppenwolf did a production of The Grapes of Wrath. We got the, the rights to the book. We did an adaptation. We did it in Chicago. We moved it to La Jolla, California, and then moved went over to London. And then we did it on Broadway for six months. And it won the Tony Award. And during that period of time uh elaine steinbeck who you know elaine controlled all the rights to her husband's work and she granted us the rights to do the grapes of wrath and i got i got to be friends with her and pretty close to her and i remember we were shooting the grapes of wrath for american playhouse after we finished it and elaine was there while we were shooting and i was standing with her and i said will you give me the rights to go mites and men <laughs> to make a movie out of it. And she gave she gave me the rights. She gave me the rights for nothing. What? Uh, yeah. I didn't have to pay. Uh, her, my deal with her was if I could set the movie up within a year at a studio somewhere, then they would pay her. <laughs> you know? And then she would say, okay, well, in order to make a movie of it, you have to pay us. Sure. And yeah. so I, I, you know, when you have the rights to something, you're a producer. So all of a sudden I start, I went to one studio, MGM, which I had had a couple of 
development deals with on a couple of other things that never got made. And I had a relationship with them. Uh, Alan Ladd Jr. running a studio at that. Alan Ladd Jr., the Ladd Company, made some of the greatest movies of their time. Laddie, as he was called, had some of the greatest taste as a producer of anybody who ever was a producer. I I really liked him. You know, I I really liked I remember, remember Sam Cohn? Of course. And ICM. So Sam is the one who really introduced me to Hollywood and everything. I was doing plays in New York, True West, and another one called Orphans, and and one called Palm and Gilead, these other things that were big hits. By the way, all of these things, I'm having total, like, flashbacks to, like, (laughs) uh, like, of... And again, I know I've said it like five times in this podcast, but as a young actor, that was the fucking center of the universe. That was, I mean, Bomb and Gilead and Orphans. Are you kidding me? I mean, I don't know. I don't think anybody's doing anything like that anymore. I think, well, look, the business is so different. So it's, it's an unfair comparison, but you don't hear, I mean, you just, that just isn't really going on anymore. Well, I don't know. I, it's been so long since I've seen anything. I, I, I don't know. But at that time, it was very exciting. Uh, the mid the early to mid-80s for Steppenwolf and up until 1990 when we brought the Grapes of Wrath, it was the time that Steppenwolf just kind of exploded and we solidified ourselves because of those 80s years and the success that we had with those plays that we were talking about there the success of the Grapes of Wrath on Broadway, we were able to raise the money and build our own building, which we did in Chicago. Now, as I said, we have this this massive building. But regarding of Mice and Men, I remember Alan Ladd, Sam Cohn, bringing Alan Ladd to see uh, the Grapes of Wrath. And we went out to dinner afterwards. It was a very powerful, wonderful product, production. So, Sinise and Steinbeck were sort of Fresh in Alan Ladd's mind when I left New York, came back to Hollywood and went to MGM and said, how about giving me some money to make a a Mice and Men into a film? And, you know, as far as deals go, you know how long these deals can just drag on. It just takes forever to get something done and everything. I went to him. I finished The Grapes of Wrath. In September of 1990, went to Alan Ladd between, oh, September and December. They didn't have to read the book. Everybody knows the book, right? I said, I'll get Malkovich. I want to play George. I'll get Malkovich. We'll do it together. We've done it before. Um, they said, okay. <laughs> and, and then we hired Horton Foote to write the screenplay. And uh, Horton went to work on it. I remember I was shooting one of the first movies, if not the first decent part I had in a movie. It was called uh, A Midnight Clear, a small budget World War. Keith Gordon. Yeah, yeah, right, Keith. And uh, we were up in Utah and Horton Foote came up there while I was shooting and we were working on the script. And then we got the script done. I was putting the production together that summer. And by September of 91, I was shooting the movie. So the whole, the whole thing from beginning to end, I mean, to get it, to get it into, you know, on where we were on set shooting was one year. It took, it, it just went very quickly, but it, great, a, great thing to work on. It was, it was, it was wonderful to work on. And, and John and I had a good time doing it. We had a great cast, Sherilyn Fenn, Ray Walston, I mean, there there was a Richard Reilly. There was a, a a great bunch of people on the movie. Joe Morton. And, I mean, it was a great, great cast. And you obviously would reunite with Ray Walston with me in the stand. Well, there you go. Let we got to the stand. <laughs> I mean, by the way, you know they redid it. Um, it's called the Stand 2020, and they finally got Whoopi Goldberg to play Mother Abigail because remember we tried to get her and she. She she did not do it. We had the great Ruby D. Um, I haven't seen it, but I'm told that they had the really brilliant idea to start it after the pandemic. <laughs> so, like nobody gets sick in it. They just <laughs> well, 
Well, yeah. I haven't seen it either, Rob, but that that seems kind of bizarre. Do, is, is, I, mean, I want to go, let me get this straight. So it's an iconic Stephen King book that everybody knows if they lo- love Stephen King. Everybody has read the book. Maybe people still remember our, our thing because it was very successful. And now you want to do it. It's about a pandemic that decimates humanity, but you don't want to do the pandemic? <laughs> I don't know. I know. Man, look, I could be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. It. it anyway, uh, it, you're making me curious now. I may have to look it up and uh, and go see what they did with it. I, we had so much fun on that, didn't we? Didn't um, we? Did I love making that. <laughs> we first of all, it was like how many episodes? What? Looking back, it was like like eight two hour episodes. It was so huge. It was eight hours total. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, it was four two-hour movies, really. Yeah. I think of Mice and Men, speaking of Mice and Men, that's the reason I got a call from Mick Garris and Stephen King, because they, they saw Mice and Men. And I, I think The Stand was maybe the, the first thing I didn't have to audition for. Wow. I mean, they, caught, they saw Mice and Men and, and asked me to play Stu in... Um, in the stand, which was cool because um, of mice and men did a lot of good things. I think the Forrest Gump people saw that as well and and uh, asked me to come in on that one. It's but it's we fun. we had such a fun time on the stand. I really love it. I remember uh, uh, we we share a birthday. That's right. Yep. And I remember Rob. I got to tell you, one of my favorite memories of you was at this. I don't know some restaurant. We were having a kind of a birthday dinner. And you were doing Chris Walken imitations, and you were, you were just, uh, you were busting me up. It was really super hilarious. Chris Walken in, I think, the Three Sisters or the Cherry Orchard or something like that. Weren't you in that with him? Oh, bro. I mean, it was the most mental. It was Christopher Walken as Versheenan. I was Tuzenbach. Um, Amy, <laughs> Amy Irving was Irina. Masha was, uh, I mean, it was, it was like this weird all-star, super eclectic cast. And, and, and Amy used to get irate that Chris would do his rhythms cause it's Chekhov. You're not supposed to fuck around with Chekhov, but as you know, well, Chris, he can't help it though. <laughs> well, he takes the, he takes the punctuation out of everything when he memorizes it. So yeah. he doesn't know when the sentences end and when they begin. <laughs> he has no idea. So there's a, there, the line that I used to come to the wings to watch him every, I would leave my dressing room, come to the wings every night to watch Chris Walken do his uh, Chekhovian dialogue. Cause there was one line wh- where, where the line as written was, well, there you have it, period. You know, a lot of useless things. That's the line. And Chris, and it's to Amy Irving, who's very serious. And, and Chris would say, well, there you have it, you know, a lot of useless things. And she would just seethe. And then, oh, the, other, the, and then the other thing that, that always made me laugh was, um, I guess the village burns down in, at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, no, I remember this. What you told me the, you wrote this script. Yes, yes. So the, vill- so the village burns down and we're all huddled in an attic hiding out and um, somebody comes in. And, and Chris wants to know what's going on in the outside world. And his line is, how's the fire? And the way he said it used to make me laugh because it was, so, I couldn't quite put my finger on why it was so funny to me and weird. It just, how's the fire? And then I grabbed a script off the table uh, backstage one day thinking it was mine and it was his. And it was opened to that scene. And I looked at that line, how's the fire? And Chris had crossed out the word fire and handwritten above it, barbecue. <laughs> and that's how he said it. How's the barbecue? <laughs> Is the fire ready? How's the fire? Are the steaks coming? Wait, um, one more one more that I remember that you told me that really cracked me up is that in some some scene he would never talk to the person on stage. He would always talk out there. Yes, he would go right down stage center and turn his back to the audience and talk like this to you. And you would hear the audience start to rumble. <laughs> 
And finally, people in the audience are like, we go, God, we can't <laughs> hear you. We don't know. <laughs> and then and then you'd come off stage and Chris would go, I love it when, when it becomes like a ball game. <laughs> and I go, well, like, why? He goes, well, that they're so into it. I go, Chris, they were saying that they couldn't hear you. <laughs> and he was like, and, and he didn't say anything to me. He just kind of like contemplated. So I go back to my dressing room. Play is going on. Chris pops his head. He goes, why is it that we uh, applaud the audience during curtain call? I go, well, Nico Sakharopoulos, who ran the uh, Williamstown Theater Festival, right. <laughs> who directed the production, uh, told us that it was traditional in the Russian theater for the actors to applaud the audience. We were doing a Russian play, so we did that. I told Chris that, reminded him of that. He goes, well, if they're yelling at me, I'm going to flip them the bird. <laughs> and <laughs> so and I don't know if he ever did. I was too scared to look at him at the curtain call, but I adored acting with him. He oh, was. It had to be just from night to night, what's going to happen? You out never, ever knew. It drives I remember, some people I remember crazy. one other thing you told me about him saying his lines to the audience or something at one point and you oh, asking yes. him chris why why don't you why don't you talk to the actors you're you're do you remember that one? Uh, i do, i thank you for reminding me of this i'd forgotten this he um so the direct you know you know it's like in the theater you you rehearse it you put it up on its feet it plays but then it's traditional for the director to come back watch the production and give notes because inevitably yes. things start to go south and actors try to, you know, be more hammy, whatever. And the director kind of reels everybody back in and you just kind of remember what you were supposed to do in the first place. So that's what we're doing. And we're sitting there and, and, and Nikos, who talked to him, he's a little interesting man and he talked like this. And he says, Chris, Chris, you're doing this thing where you're talking to the audience. You're looking at them and you're talking to them and not the actors. You are breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> and Chris goes, well, they know I'm there. I know they're there. It would be rude to ignore them. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> By the way, my walk-in impersonation is terrible. It used to be very good, but the, those uh, stories are, are, are extraordinary stories. Ron, I remember that dinner so well where where uh, we just laughed all night and uh on on march 17th we wow. we have our birthday coming up I'll, I'll, I'll think of that again i will be toasting you apple card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card you earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day that's three percent on your favorite products at apple 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We got to talk about Bob Z and Tom. You, I forgot how many movies you did with Tom. You've done a, you've done Green Mile with Tom. You did Apollo Thirteen with Tom. You did obviously Forrest Go, Go and, I, and he's one of my favorite people in the in the business. I just yeah, think he's the we best. had we had a great time on all of those. Uh, uh, good. And 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 my friend Bill Pack. Oh, how about this story? So God bless him, our our late beloved Bill Paxton, who you did Apollo Thirteen with. Do you remember his Tonight Show appearance? No. Uh, okay. I oh, bro. Here you go. I got to look it up then. This huh? is uh, this is up there with the Chris Walken stories. So he goes on Johnny Car Jay Leno to promote Apollo 13. And it, 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 for what he calls the trophy run, like that's the thing where all the actors for when the Oscar season comes, it, you can't you can't get, you know, it's, it's interview after interview after interview. And Jay goes, so tell me uh, Apollo 13. What do you think about that movie? And uh Bill goes, well, God, I got to tell you, I think the thing should win the Oscar. I think he should win the Academy Award. And, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, well, yeah, it's a really good movie. Tom Hanks, really acclaimed. But uh, tell me why. He goes, Jay, it's called the Academy of Motion Picture Arts. 
and sciences. <laughs> to build that because there was science. Because it was like NASA. It had a shoe in to win to win best picture. I is that on YouTube? Yeah, I, it's I, so good. I, I gotta look it up. And God so, bless him. Love Bill. That's Bill. a great God, those movies are all so great. Lieutenant Dan, though, is I mean, you have the Lieutenant Dan band. I mean, that's your the iconic it, it's it's is that your signature role? You've had so many. I I I look, it's for sure your most famous. But you have so many. I'm unwilling to say it's your it's your signature because you've had so many of them. Well, I mean, certainly that was you know I hadn't done that many films before that or anything. Um, I had primarily been focused on uh, the theater company almost exclusively, with the exception of um, directing a film. I directed a film in the in the eighties, but I was primarily focused on Steppenwolf all the way up till to the 90s. In 90, I finished The Grapes of Wrath, then I got the rights to Mice and Men, started working on that. And then in 91, I did that film, uh, A Midnight Clear. I did a movie called Jack the Bear with Danny DeVito that year, and I did Of Mice and Men. Then I did The Stain, I mean, and then Forrest Gump. So I hadn't really done that much. Uh, in the movie business up until Lieutenant Dan and along comes Lieutenant Dan and it's, you know, it's a, a great script. It's a great director, great star, Tom, a uh, great cast, just everything, everything clicked. And I got to play that part. And uh, that, you know, obviously it, it's a classic and it did really well. And that was a career changer uh, for sure. Things changed uh, pretty dramatically after that. And then you had, I remember you had some great movie with Ron Howard. Oh, Ransom. Yeah. Ransom. Oh, dude. I, re- I remember seeing Ransom in the theater and going, that is such a tight, perfect thriller. It, it's really good suspense movie. No, no question. Mel and, and uh, Renee Russo. And uh, it, it's, yeah, really, really good film. Yeah. I mean. Got to play the bad guy in that. And that was good. It was super good. And then, of course, you go into one of the great television franchises of all time, into the CSI universe, as they would call it today. It's a universe. (laughs) The CSI universe. I was in that universe, yes. You were in that universe. And, you know, that is going from, from movies into that kind of grind. I always say to people that if you like a performance on a, a network television show. If you like an actor's work, that actor's amazing. That means that actor's great because it comes so fast and furious. You, you, the, the hours are such a gruel, such a grind. You have one or two takes. You're not finding it. You're not working it through. You're, it is, you, you just can't. And if you're able to do work that, that, that reaches people on that, that's really saying something. Yeah, you're just you're just happy if you can spit out the lions scene after scene, you know, and you don't want to screw it up because everybody wants to go home, and you don't want to just you know, uh, you don't want to be the one who's just taking too much time with everything. Uh, you there's too much to do on a television show, so you want to be prepared. And I learned a lot. It was great. We did 197 episodes. What? How how many episodes have you done right now? Well, here's the thing. Here's, uh, on your show. on So on Lone Star, 911 Lone Star, because in those days they would do 22 and you're, right. and maybe yeah. even they'd try to get 26 out of you if they could. We did a couple of a couple of years like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now they don't do that. They do like a big order now is 18. Like very, very few, if any, do 22 anymore. And um, so our count is much, much lower. But let me lay this one on you. Gary, I have had a show on the air every single year without interruption since 1999. That's crazy. I spend more time with a a slate in front of my face than I do brushing my teeth. (laughs) But it gets in your it gets in your DNA. And I used to wonder, like, why do certain actors who were great 
as they get older, get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the performance they're giving are caricatures of themselves. I'm not going to name any names, but everybody can probably figure out there are a lot of actors like that. And I think I know what it is now. I think it's you work so much and it becomes so in your DNA. It's like falling off of a log. And, <laughs> and, and, and so to feel the, the, the stretch, the push, the, to make it not feel effortlessness, to put some quote unquote work back into it, you just get bigger and bigger and bigger until finally you're saying, pull that car over. And like, you're like, you know, I don't think that really works. What if I did this with an Irish accent? Yes. <laughs> you, you've always been in my school of acting and uh, less is more. Don't ever get caught acting. I never want to get caught at it. Ever. Well, I've been fortunate. I've had some good opportunities, done some good things. Was lucky to uh, stumble into CSI, which gave me um, a security that I, did, I never imagined. And that allowed me to do a lot of incredible things. In my book, uh, there's a CSI New York chapter in my book, and it's called Perfect Timing. And the reason it's called perfect timing is because I was ramping up all this. This was just post 9-11 and the, the attacks on our country. I was going out for the USO and I was going overseas and doing all these things and volunteering uh, for to support a lot of military charities and nonprofits that were helping out. And along comes CSI New York and they handed it to me and... I debated whether I should take it or not, just simply because I hadn't been used to playing, you know, one character over multiple years. But once I got over that, it was the best decision. The timing was great because all of a sudden I had this public platform every single week. When you're on television every week, you have this, there's this whole thing you have available to you, this public platform, you have people, you, <laughs> there's all kinds of support, you can... The studios like you, you can go to them and ask them for things and blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to do all this nonprofit work and help out the, the military who were reacting to the terrible attacks and deploying the Afghanistan and Iraq. And I had this thing come along at the right time. And it gave me a lot of means financially to do a lot of cool things, um, to build a foundation and to support a lot of other, other things that I cared about. And it gave me this kind of more international recognition than, than I'd had with the movies. Because uh, the movies, while I, I, I did some good ones and everything like that, you know, I was the lead in CSI New York. You know, I was the main guy. And that show was on television for nine years and sold in 200 markets around the world. And it gave me a thing that uh, I was able to capitalize on and uh, help a lot of people because of it. It's so great. And and how much of your, on, on any given day, how much of your time is foundation work and how much of it is that creative part of you that's an actor, producer, all, all the stuff that you've historically done? How well, do you... I'll, I'll tell you, lately, Rob, um, more more focus has been on um, uh, the foundation work and, and and whatnot. You know, I did this uh, this spinoff of Criminal Minds called Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. It went a couple of years, and that was that was a good thing to have and everything like that. But since then, I've just done, done a few little things and everything, primarily focusing on the foundation. We've moved the foundation central offices from L.A. to. Uh, the Nashville area. So most of my team is in Nashville. Uh, I'm going to move there, move the rest of the family there eventually. I'm just kind of focused on on that. I've played probably upwards of 550 Jeez. concerts in the last several years, uh, you know, on these military bases uh, all around the world and, and, and whatnot. And I, I really enjoy doing that. It's a good, it's a great relief. And, uh, you know, focusing primarily on uh, just what what the foundation is doing doesn't mean I, I've stopped acting or a anything like that. But 
the right thing comes along, I'll I'll definitely uh, consider it. Amazing. Well, we I, I'd love to do something again with you, acting wise, and you know I'm always available. You know to do to help in any way I can with the, with the foundation. I I just love like I said. Thank I, you, bud. I love what you do. I I'd love to have you come to something. You bet. Yeah, for sure. Um, one last question. In a battle of the bands between Lieutenant Dan Band and the Kevin Costner New West, who wins? Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, (laughs) I'm trying to I'm trying to gin up gin up a beef here. You you want you want a battle of the bands between me and and Kevin? (laughs) I do, I do. I think it's I think America wants it. You probably have to get the Bacon Brothers in there. Get to throw the Bacon Brothers in a little bit. Isn't there another band called the Band from TV, and it's a bunch of television? Yes, yes. It's it's all like it's all people in the crew. What's it's just anybody who's ever worked in TV who's, who throws it. I would. I why is that not like a festival, an entire day at an outdoor festival? <laughs> because all the bands would be fighting for the final position of the night. That's right. Because <laughs> you then, can't be doing Freebird. We're doing Freebird. Wait a minute, and we're doing Free. All right. Wait a minute. Yeah, we're a cover band. I mean, we just do. We just do all kinds. Okay. Of- what's your What's your throwdown, like barn burner? What's the, What is the the song that's that's your go to killer? Long Train Running is always a really oh, good yeah. one by the Doobies. Yeah, come um, on. And that that it's a really hot arrangement that we do. Um, superstition, Stevie Wonder. That's that's. Oh. A, we've got great, great singers. We do country tunes. We do a lot of classics, and we just threw uh, twenty five or six two four into the set, which yes. is it's fun because we have a big horn section oh, in the wow. band. So it's a pretty big band. I mean, there's thirteen people in the band, and we got five singers. We got a violin player. Uh, we do Dave Matthews Ants Marching. That's a that's a good one. A lot of fun. Fantastic. All right. You sold me. Don't stop believing is always a, a crowd pleaser. <laughs> I, the, you truly do the hits. I love it. It's, it's a great band. You can see us on YouTube and you can go to the Gary Sinise Foundation website and see what we're doing. Awesome. Gary, thank you so much for, for, for coming on. This is, this is, I was so excited that uh, we made this happen. It's been long overdue that we got to, to touch base. Me too, bud. It's, it's good to see you. Great to talk to you. Gary Sinise, ladies and germs. Yeah! All right. You know what time it is. It's time to check the lowdown line. Hello. You've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey, Rob, it's Marianne in St. Louis. Love your podcast and your storytelling. Read your books. I'm waiting for that third one. I have two questions for you, one fun one and one serious one. So the fun one is I was listening to your interview with Michael Sarah, and you guys started talking about movies to show your kids, and you mentioned that you had a list. Um, you guys only got to talk about the first one, which was Land Before Time. So I was hoping that you could add some more for us. I've got two boys, age four and six that I'd love to show some of your recommendations. Um, the serious question is, I appreciate all of the uh, things you talk about with your um, journey through recovery. And we have um, addiction that runs in our family. And so I was wondering if you had any advice as I raised my two boys um, for how to talk about that, when to talk about that, to kind of help them navigate that as they grow up. Anyway, thanks so much, and I'm looking forward to watching that new Netflix show. Take care. Bye. Aw, so, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. Great questions. First question, uh, The Wizard of Oz, old school, my first favorite movie, great for kids. Um, make sure they watch until it becomes color, because you know kids hate watching anything in black and white. They hate it. Um, Little Mermaid. Lion King. I mean, those were of the era that I had small kids, but I still think they're just the absolute greatest Disney kids movies. Um, 
oh, here's a deep cut. And you may, I'll bet you haven't seen it. It's a movie called Bugsy Malone. And it's all kids, like 10, 11, 12 year old kids in a gangster musical directed by Alan Parker, who is one of the great directors of his time. And it stars a 12 year old Jodie Foster. And it is spectacular. Um, total kid movie. Um, Bad News Bears. Um, another one. And the second part of your question about talking to your kids about drugs and alcohol, I think, you know, they'll start getting curious, like, mommy, what are you drinking? <laughs> Daddy, what are you smoking? <laughs> and I think just the more, the more authentic parents can be in demystifying it. You know, it's, it's, um, I think people are, are justifiably so fraught and scared. And I think the, the, the less mystery surrounding it and the more open everybody is certainly the better, but that probably doesn't happen until they're, they're teenagers. And I think now, unfortunately with this God awful fentanyl, it's really changed the rules. And I don't think parents can be as laissez faire as they used to be. It used to be, well, everybody's going to do recreational drugs and it's part of growing up and, you know, maybe some people it's a phase, whatever. I, I, I just think now until this fentanyl thing is figured out, it's a no fly zone. There's no experimenting with that stuff with Coke or Molly or Adderall or any of it. In the old days, you could. Now you, you could get it wrong once and you could be dead. So, um, hopefully that's not a conversation you have to have until they're, I would have it at 11 or 12 though, for sure. Um, but it's all about the development of your own kid. Your kid may be way more behind or way more forward anyway. So that's that. Anyway, thank you so much for the call. Really, really thoughtful questions. Thank you. Um, until next week, this is me signing off and I will see you back at literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Nick Liao, with help from associate producer Sarah Begar, researched by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross and myself at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Booking by Deirdre Dodd, music by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production. <laughs> <laughs>